What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome, everyone, to episode 634 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Saporic, and it is September, which means training camp is less than a month away. The start of the 2023-24 NBA season is going to be like a month and a half away, less than two months away. So we are finally getting started on our division previews. Unfortunately, Damian Lillard and James Harden make it really difficult to do division previews this year because they're affecting uh, potentially a bunch of divisions. So we are going to start today with the Southwest Division, which will hopefully be free of any Dame and Harden fallout whenever those trades do happen. Before we get to that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us at Blue Sky on the same handle, so please check us out there. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. Joining me today is someone who is going to be spreading Victor Wembanyama propaganda for an hour. Morton Jensen, how's it going? It's going very well. I'm, I'm looking forward to these season previews because... Honestly, we have no idea what's going to happen with Dame and Harden, as you talked about. So I'm, I'm glad that we did this in a very strategic manner, knowing that we got like the divisions out of the way where they just cannot go to unless we're completely shocked at the end of the day. Yeah, we're, we're doing it strategically for a week, and then we run out of divisions that will not be impacted by those two. So after that, all bets are off, but we're, yeah. we're trying our best here. Uh, Joining us as well is a longtime friend of the show, the co-host of the In the Know podcast, Mason Ginsburg. Mason, how's it going, my man? Man, just ready to spread some Pelicans propaganda. So Mort and I are uh, are, are ready for this. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Believe me, we, we will talk plenty about Trey Murphy in a bit. Uh, before we do, Mace, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work? Yeah. Um, so uh, on Twitter and whatever other platform is going to replace Twitter, I won't call it by its new name. I refuse. <laughs> um, I am just my name, Mason Ginsburg. And then, I, like, as you said, I'm the co-host of the In No podcast. Shemit Dua and I uh, do a Pelicans podcast. I won't say weekly because we're not good enough about being regular with this. We're going to try to get back into the regular routine once the season starts. But uh, but you can find us on uh, Spotify or anywhere else you, you consume podcasts. Very good. Well, please give them a follow. All a great resource for Pelicans fans. You guys do awesome work, and you know we'll we'll get to it in a bit. Knock on wood. Maybe this is the year that the Pelicans all stay healthy and could actually make some noise. So, 
Um, yeah, please, please give Mace and Schmidt a follow if you aren't already. We're just going to go in alphabetical order here as usual through all of these divisions. So, guys, we will start with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Mort, I feel like I have to give you this first question just as the Luka Doncic fanboy, not only of this podcast, but possibly all of NBA Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the year one of the Kyrie-Luka marriage did not go as anticipated. I believe they were 9-18 and 18 after making the Kyrie trade, uh, missed the playoffs, perhaps intentionally, um, to protect that top perhaps. 10. Perhaps. Sorry, perhaps? <laughs> I don't want to, guys, we can't, there's no tanking in Adam Silver's NBA. There's no tampering in Adam Silver's NBA. We're just going to give every team the benefit of the doubt here. Um, but they did protect that top 10 protected pick. So more, what are your expectations for Luca and Kyrie in year two? Do you think, you know, now that they've got a whole off season training camp, preseason, full regular season together, it will go better than the disaster class that happened last year? I mean, I don't think it can hurt to have more reps and, and just have more familiarity. That said, we're talking about Kyrie Irving. We have no clue. I, I have just basically decided that whenever I get asked a question about Kyrie Irving in regards to what is going to happen in the future, I'm just going to throw my hands up because I don't know. I mean, if you'd asked me last year, I wasn't able to tell you, you know, well, he's going to promote an anti-Semitic film in the middle of the year. I mean, I have no fucking clue. I don't know. Uh, in terms of the on-court product, I just hope that they understand, both of them, how their respective roles are going to be. So Luca is should be the primary ball handler. Kyrie should be the spacer because we know that Luca is struggling as a spot-up shooter. We know that's not his game. Whereas Kyrie, that's probably a little bit more natural of an element for him as long as he accepts such a role, really. But I do still hate the fact that they're so guard-heavy in terms of like how they have their star distribution. I think they re-signed him to potentially at least keep that option open to trade him later for maybe a wing or a proper big, something along those lines. So you get a little bit more roster symmetry, but hey, if it works, it works. And then I'm gonna be looking stupid, which I might. Uh, they might just come out of the gates and have perfect chemistry. I, we'll see, but in terms of what is gonna happen, no clue, man. It's Kyrie Irving. Mace, what about you? Um, so, I mean, I like what they did in the offseason overall. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. I, they they made a, a nice draft draft night trade. Um, the Grant mm -hmm. Williams acquisition, I think, was is a nice one for them. He fills a, 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 a void, uh, which is, you know, that kind of like floor spacing for um, who's, you know, a, a pretty solid de defensive player. Um, and so, look, this, this ultimately comes down to beyond everything that Mort said, which I obviously agree with uh, as much as possible. Um, it's going to come down to, can they stop anybody? I mean, I, I think I, with the reps, you know, having, having another season with Luke and Kyrie, look, a lot of times we see these kind of midseason trades and they don't, they don't pan out immediately. Um, but like, I mean, you saw it with Boogie with the Pelicans kind of tying it back to that's kind of the, the, that's my recent example from the team that I, I cover is, you know, mm -hmm. the cousin, the cousin trade did not work out at the start. I mean, they still missed the playoffs next year was when things really clicked for them um, up until the Achilles injury, of course, because Pelicans. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as you think about the, the Mavs, I mean, Luke and Kyrie, like I said, you know, they'll have more chances to, 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 to play together, to feel each other out. 
And then, and, and, and so I don't think offense is going to be the problem. It's just like with, with the Luca team, it shouldn't be right. And so can they stop everyone? And I'm, I'm not convinced they got be- enough better on that end to make them like a real threat. But I mean, like they, sh- they should be a playoff team with Luka Doncic. I mean, that should be obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a fair assessment of just how good Luka is. And, you know, I think you brought up, uh, their off season and, you know, some of the sneaky moves they had, I know I like the Lakers propaganda was out of control this off season, but like, you know, Mort and I were very high on the overall picture of Dallas beyond just keeping Kyrie and at, you know, a less than max price. Um, the Grant Williams acquisition, the Derek yeah. Lively acquisition, Rashawn Holmes, Seth Curry, like they, they added a lot of potential Derek Lively. players. Yeah, Derek Bively. Um, so I think you're totally right, Mace. Like the, the defense is the concern for them. Um, who do you think if at, like they've got so Rashawn Holmes, Derek Lively, Maxi Kleba, Dwight Powell is their primary big man rotation, and Grant Williams, you know, can slide up and play potentially small ball five, I guess. If but I don't think they'll need him to. I'm, I'm imagining he's going to play mostly the three or four for them. Who of any of those bigs do you think makes the biggest impact this year? Um, man, I, I, I'm not like thrilled by any of them, uh, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't downplay the, the small ball five Grant Williams so much. I mean, you already called out how they're so guard heavy. I mean, so yeah. I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they just pull the traditional five off the floor I mean, Maxi can shoot a little bit, so I mean, so I guess that's an option. But um, I, I think they're gonna. I think one of those four you mentioned is gonna be unpleasantly surprised at their lack of minutes. I, I, I'm not sure who it is, um, mm-hmm. and maybe it's Holmes because that trade. I don't think that trade was really about Rashawn Holmes. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see how they handle this because I I I think they'll go small a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Mort. I know you and I have talked. Because we figure, you know, Luca and Kyrie are presumably starting the one and two in some order. Right. Grant Williams presumably starts the four. Yeah. You know, one of Kleba, Powell, Rashawn starts the five. Feels like it's a battle for the three with Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green. You know, they can go small and do like a Luca Curry, Luca Seth Curry, Kyrie three guard thing, but I think, Oh boy, defensively, that's going to be a train wake, but yeah. Right. right. So I'm guessing Tim Hardaway jr. Versus Josh green for the starting three job. Who do you, I know who you would want to win it. Who do you think actually wins it? The guy who I want Josh green, because look, now is the time for them to actually start looking at Lucas age and realize we have to get a little bit younger. He's right now. Luca is still young enough that you can add these young pieces, like a Derek Lively, like a Josh Green, like those guys. Olivier Maxens Prosper. Now is the time to add young talent to him. So I think Josh Green also he's kind of seasoned. That's three years in the NBA now. I think yeah. I think he's ready to take on that role. Besides, like I understand the whole shooting aspect. Oh, Tim Hardaway Jr. I get it, but. You want some players who have some longevity with Luca in that lineup. So I think it's going to be Josh Green. I also loved how you you brought up like their five position and didn't even bring up Derek Lively. Like I honestly think down the line, maybe not to start the season, it wouldn't shock me if he's thrown into that starting uh, unit just because he's huge and he's athletic. 
Luca and even Kyrie can find those guys on those lobs. Like it seems like Dwight Powell is like the token lob guy. He gets like one lob up game, and as soon as he finishes, it's like, oh, okay, you you got your dunk off the like off the floor. <laughs> Derek Lively, hopefully, is going to be the rich man's version of Dwight Powell, and I, I wouldn't even be shocked if he's he is that by training camp. I would be pretty surprised. Not not with any disrespect to Derek Lively, but I mean, especially with Jason Kidd as head coach, he would strike me as the type to favor a veteran. So like I'm frankly Oh, I just said who was better. I didn't talk about like decisions. I Jason Kidd is a boob. Like I don't trust him (laughs) at all here. So I mean I yeah, I th- I'm just going off what I think is the best thing. I if we, look, yeah, knowing yeah. Jason Kidd, half of these rookies or young pl- young guys are not going to play. So yeah, yeah, that that would be and, my instinct too. Well, well, look, I mean, a- after the season they had last year, you can. I mean, there's going to be some fire on on, J- on Jason Kidd's uh, seat. So like, I, I and beyond that, I mean, I think look. Rookies very rarely make a positive impact, specific, specifically defensively, which makes me hard pressed to think Lively is going to be, you know, going to get real significant minutes, even like at all this season. Um, I, I, you know, it, it, in the second unit maybe, but I, I think that Jason Kidd's going to have some real pressure to put the best players right now on the floor. And so I do even wonder, like, I, I think it's ended up being Hardaway who starts the three, but like also I do think, I, mean, I think the kind of Josh Green and that kind of spark plug off the bench role, but also kind of to your point more, I think he'll play a lot of minutes with Luca. I just mm-hmm. don't know if he's going to get the starting nod not immediately because I think kid's going to be again a lot of pressure to make he's sure gonna he's going to be kid. doing the most to win games now. Yeah, 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 yeah. The real question I, I, we should be asking is what color is their text bubbles in their group chat? Right. <laughs> that's oh, that's boy. a Mirren Fader reference for those who haven't read the book Giannis. By the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we covered you know, last year was a disaster for them. Previous year, they went to the Western Conference Finals. So we've seen you know, two sides of how good they can be with Luka and how bad they can be with Luka. Mason, what would constitute a successful season for the Mavericks this year? Um, I, I think they've – I don't think a first-round playoff exit is going to be enough. I mean, like – I, I think space are where they were last year. Um, it's a step in the right direction to at least make the playoffs. I think they've, I, I don't really, it's, I, it doesn't matter to me whether or not they can dance out away from the plan. Obviously that matters for uh, getting the best possible seating and winning a playoff round, but I think they've got to get, they've got to be one of the last four teams standing in the West or else, you know, what, what progress have you really made? Like, and what, I, I don't know. I just, I don't necessarily think that you can tolerate like a first round exit with with prime, I mean close, almost prime Luca in your uh, on your roster. Yeah, Mort, what about you? So are you actually cut out a little bit, Bryce? So could you repeat that question for me? Oh yeah, what what would constitute a successful season for the Mavericks this year? A return to the Western Conference Finals, and I'm not even looking at the playoffs as just that one thing, like making the playoffs. They were in the Western Conference Finals. The the year before last, that has to be their starting point. That has to be their goal. And I realize I'm saying that knowing full well that this Western Conference is tough as hell. But if you have legitimate aspirations of going far, and it seems like 
this team does have that, especially on the heels of that season. I would say anything beyond that could be considered uh, a disappointment. Now, personally, I would probably value uh, development more so, but I don't think that's the case in Dallas because they re-signed Kyrie. I think there comes a certain level of expectations there. Um, Me personally, I wouldn't care if they actually made the playoffs or not. I, I would be looking at the development of Lively, Green, Prosper, those guys, Jaden Hardy, uh, that's what I would be looking for, but I just don't think that's how the organization views it. So if they want to win, and if that's their mission, I'm going to hold them to it. And that's why I'm saying that's that has to be the expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think I would probably lean with Mace that like the floor should be second round of the playoffs, and anything beyond that is great. But, you know, it's hard to say like Western Conference Finals is – the expectation when the mm-hmm. West is as loaded as it is. I mean, even second round, that means, you know, one of Denver, Phoenix, yeah. Golden State, the Lakers, they'd have to beat one of those four teams. Presumably. Oh, yeah. It's completely unfair expectation. I'm fully aware. I don't care. Oh. Like, at yeah. the end of the day, it, no, but, but here's my thing. I, I understand that. But I don't think any team could go into a season where they know that it's a tough schedule ahead and then just go, well, we're okay if we just finish things. I, I don't I think that's a losing mentality. If you have aspirations to win, you shouldn't care one bit who's in front of you. I mean, look, again, Lithuania, United States, right? I mean, they weren't afraid of the jersey, nor should Dallas be in front of all everyone else. And if they get their shit kicked in, okay, then we have a different conversation on our hands. Then, then you probably fire Jason Kidd. That could also be a successful season. That would honestly, I would. That's a good point. You know what? I'm going to change my answer. I just want them to absolutely suck for the first 25 games. Let's yeah. just go with that instead. Well, that also still owe a top 10 protected pick to the Knicks. So if if the worst case scenario does play out, they keep that pick another year. Probably fire Jason Kidd. So even the worst case scenario might not be that bad for the Mavericks. And the, well, and the the other thing about that team is they're they're kind of locked in for the next season too. I mean, you look at you yeah. look down that yeah. roster; every single player, like the top seven earners on that team, if you assume that Rashawn Holmes is going to pick up his thirteen million player option, I think that's a safe bet. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he could he could outplay it this year, I guess, but I'm not I'm not expecting that. But that's one hundred forty million dollars locked in, and that's not to say they can't trade one of those deals, right? But but it is. I mean, th- there's not like a it's not a situation where they're going to have like a bunch of space to like make a move in the off season. They're going to have to do whatever they need to do, like kind of in season. Um, so to, mm-hmm. to more to their point, is that trading Kyrie? Is that, is that a situation that presents itself later in the season? But I, I am curious what kind of roster moves they, they, they consider as the season wears on. Yep. It's going to be another interesting season in Dallas for sure. I, I actually have one question. So what happens if, you know, the maps, they stay above water. They're round around 500 with Kyrie. Kyrie either goes down or he does something weird and then he just leaves and is just off the floor for like six or eight weeks. And if they start to just ball, what happens then? Because I assume that NBA teams would look at that and just go, uh-oh, do we even like do we even dare to trade for Kyrie if they're better without him? And if there's, you know, one more situation popping up, like what happens there? What what will they ever do with that contract if one other thing happens which honestly let's just be honest here it could happen because it's Kyrie 
they trade him for D'Angelo Russell because the Lakers will definitely take that gamble. <laughs> All right, I I concede. That's fair. That's actually yeah. pretty. <laughs> I mean that honestly, that'd be my guy. Like, I, there will be some team. Some team will always be willing to trade for a talent like Kyrie. They won't trade much, but they'll trade for him. But then the, the next question you've got to ask is if that, if that happens, suddenly Luca's left without anyone on that roster. I, I mean, barring the, the significant development of some of the younger guys. Yeah, who's the co-star? I mean, and and if that happens, what is what is Luca saying? I mean, like that's that's yeah. the. The question I'm asking if, if that yeah. Kyrie situation comes to fruition. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's why I asked, like, what's a successful season for them? Because if they fall short of that bar, you know, we already heard the conversation at the end of last year of like the Mavericks are afraid Luca might ask out as soon as 2024. So if they do have another really bad season or fall short of expectations, like you know, Joel Embiid will have some some company next summer in the when is this guy asking out department? And that will be Luka Doncic. Maybe that's the answer to what constitutes a successful season in Dallas, which is, oh, we ended the season and Luka Doncic isn't a hot mess and is just willing to burn down the entire organization. Like, he's actually pretty content. A content Luka Doncic, that's probably a win at this point. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really yeah, all they that. can ask for. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. All right, let's go to the Houston Rockets, guys. They were the big spender of free agency. No surprise there because they entered with the most amount of money of any team. The surprise, at least to some extent, was that they pivoted away from James Harden and instead splurged on Fred Van Bleet and Dylan Brooks along with Jeff Green and Jock Landale. Uh, Mason, Fred Van Bleet was the big splash in free agency how much of a difference do you see him making for this Rockets team that has otherwise been very rudderless over the last three years, ever since James Harden left? Um, you know, I, I think I don't. I think he'll be better than what we saw in Toronto last year. I think he just there's a rough rough shooting patch there for him. But I mean, he's a he's a very talented player. I think I, I'm not sure he's enough. Him and Dylan Brooks, whatever Dylan Brooks they get, is enough to make this team even like a play-in uh, threat. I, I think that was obviously the, the goal here, um, but I don't know. I, I'm not seeing it. I think, I don't, I don't think they've necessarily got very complimentary parts here. Um, I think they'll win some games. They'll out, out talent some teams maybe some, uh, a couple of times, but 
I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm not really sure what the what the goal is. Uh, if I, if I'm Houston, um, I just is he like the vet leader of this team too? Um, I mean, I think that's also a question of like, are they do they need someone who's going to lead, kind of be one of those vocal leaders who also is kind of the leader on the floor? Um, mm-hmm. Is that who is that who Van Vliet is? I don't know. I, I just I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not really seeing the vision here from the Rockets, but there is a lot of young talent there. Mm. Yeah, and. More, I mean, I think that's ultimately the biggest question with the Rockets this season is that they brought in these veterans. You know, Jock Landale and Jeff Green might just be, we had to spend money to hit the salary floor and we can trade these yeah. guys later. But, like, they spent money on Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks to put them in the rotation. I assume Jeff Green's going to have a spot, too. But they do have all these young guys. You so... and your Jeff Green. Oh, my God. Yes. Jeff Green. We get it. You went, you went to Georgetown, Brian. We get it. Jeff Green, NBA champion, played Jeff a critical Green, role. The 89-year-old NBA player. Yes. Yes. Played a key role on an NBA champion last season. You hold your slander, sir. Uh, what a key. Yes. Yes. It had nothing to do with a certain Serbian. You're absolutely he, right. He was in the rotation. That's all. I mean, the eight-man rotation, he was So was right. Judd Bushler back in the day. Are we are we celebrating Judd? Yeah, we should. Um <laughs> I think the rest of the podcast should be just devoted to that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, more, how do you see the, the allocation of minutes going between you know the the free agent additions they made and then some of yeah. these young guys? It, that's going to be the tricky part, right? Because they, I, I actually thought they would follow up the Van Vliet signing by trading Kevin Porter Jr., but it seems like they're pivoting towards him in a, sort of a six man role. That still means a lot of minutes for him. Uh, like he just came off a year averaging 19, 5, and 5. And look, the stats are better looking at the actual impact. But I yeah. still don't think they're going to just remove him from the rotation outright. But you're right. They, they need to have minutes not just for Fred Van Lee. They also need to find mil- minutes for Amon Thompson. You know, there's Jalen Green is around. Cam Whitmore was a steal at where he landed. So they might mm-hmm. also be planning to get him into that rotation. But uh-oh, then what happens with Tari Eason? What happens with Jabari Smith? And look, there's also just a Dylan Brooks thrown into the mix. I, I, I suspect that there are going to be a couple of people who by mid-season would be a little pissed, like maybe just seeing mm-hmm. their minutes not where they're supposed to be. Um, maybe they're just trying right now to gather talent, figure out, okay, who do we trust? Who's going to stick? And then maybe move something later down the road. It does seem like this team is kind of prepping for a star trade, maybe. I, mm-hmm. then, you can, then you can ask yourself, like, what caliber of star? That depends on who you're sending out, obviously. But it, it wouldn't shock me if this roster looks dramatically different 12 months from now. But right now, I do see a minutes crunch. It's interesting, though. I, I like the overall talent individually. Collectively, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah. And I know that was kind of a sore spot for Rockets fans last year, especially when they give away Ty Ty Washington and Usman Garuba this summer, that they yeah. just didn't have enough minutes for all their guys. And now... Now those guys, are, yeah, uh, you know those guys, Ty Ty and Garuba were late first round picks, so like, you know, the hit rate's pretty mediocre there anyway. Not a huge deal that neither of those guys panned out. But now we're talking like Jalen Green, number two pick, Jabari Smith, number three pick. Like, you know, you you've got to find minutes. Amon Thompson, number four pick. You have to yeah. find minutes for those guys. Plus Van Vliet 
plus Brooks, plus Shangun, presumably. You know, you mentioned Cam Whitmore as well. Like, it, it, it is going to start to get crowded. Uh, Mason, they also brought in Ime Udoka as their new head coach, which, you know, we, we've talked about his uh, transgressions in Boston in the past, so we don't need to go too far in depth there this time. But, you know, to me, he strikes me as – you know, one of those like old school, you're going to have to earn your minutes types coaches. So I think like part of the strategy of bringing in these veterans is like, we're not just going to hand you minutes because you're a lottery pick. Like you actually have to be better than Jeff Green or Jock Landale or Dylan Brooks to have a spot in the rotation. Um, so how do you see this playing out this year? I know you were mentioning, you know, you, you were struggling to see the long-term vision. Like, do you think the Rockets do try to kind of accelerate the timetable and get back into that play in mix or are the veterans here you know to help establish some credibility but they're still prioritizing development of the young guys yeah i, I just don't give the, the rockets that enough credit for that level of forward thinking i think they're just trying to win games <laughs> um I, and and so i i think i think they're gonna you know, I, I think they're going to do what they can and play the guys who they think help move the needle from a wins and losses perspective. And look, eventually I expect they'll pivot um, because yeah. I don't think this team is going to be that good. Um, but I mean, look, if you look at, I, we're talking about the Southwest division as a whole. And if you look at the division, every team has flaws. I mean, this is a, this is a situation where the over-unders, the, 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 the top over-under for this division is 45, 45 and a half with the Mavs and the, the, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies with the John Morant suspension and then the Pelicans are at 43 and a half. So like, if I'm looking at that as the Rockets and just adding a couple of couple of vets like Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, I'm going for it, right? Like I'm going to see if I can catch fire and, and, and have a shot to win a weaker division. Um, so look, I, I, I think that's where they'll start. I just don't think that's where they'll end up. Yeah, that's reasonable. I mean, I think the addition of Van Vliet in particular, like, it's going to make a huge difference just having an actual not, I mean, not that Van Vliet is only a league average point guard, but just having a league average point guard in there, much less someone as good as Van Vliet is going to lift the entire team. Cause I mean, I just was not there with the Kevin Porter jr. Starting point guard experiment. Um, and we've seen this from rebuilding teams in the past where they bring in, that veteran point guard and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you guys can actually play basketball, which was not the case in any, you know, coherent sense last year. Um, I'm excited to see Shangun under, uh, Adoka as well. Cause I know that was a really, really sore spot with Rockets fans last year. They felt like Steven Silas just did not use him the right way. And, you know, Udoka does sound like he wants to lean into, Shangun as a playmaker, which more, I know that's going to make you very yeah. happy. So I'm, I'm morbidly intrigued by this Rockets team. Cause it's I a think, perfect way to phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, they do have some really intriguing young talent. I mean, you could argue they have one of the better young cores in the league, frankly. And I think Yoko is probably the right guy to see it through. I'm just curious, like, more to your point, like which of these guys does get left out? Because inevitably, someone's going to. 
I mean, I almost hope it's Charlie Eason so someone trades for him and starts him and plays him 35 minutes per game because I think he's going to be a tremendous NBA player if he's given the opportunity. But he was kind of stuck behind Jabari Smith, who were given, I don't want to say entitlement minutes, because when you're drafted number three overall, you, you, there are also a certain level of expectation being put on you. But as the season progressed, you know, Jabari struggled, and Tari was just, he kept being uh, a relevant factor in the rotation, you know, defensively, energetically, rebounding wise. I mean, even offensively later on in the year. I would love to see him play quite a lot of minutes next year, at least nearing the 30 minute mark. And he's not going to get close to it because of this rotation. So, yeah, I, I'm just bracing for the in, in, inevitable of several guys near the deadline being, hey, hey, what's what's going on? It's going to be like the Hawks every single year with John Collins, like yeah. leaking to the athletic. Hey, you know, what's going on here? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I, oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention and get and get a little upset about the Rockets and the Spurs to a lesser extent, essentially allowing the Lakers to keep Austin Reeves for pink yeah. They were both yeah. so, you know, the, the, all the rumors came out afterwards. Well, if we didn't get fit Van Vliet or if we didn't get Dylan Brooks, yeah, we were considering a big offer for Austin Reeves. It's like, obviously the Lakers would have matched, but uh, they, they they could have made the Lakers pay like twice as much for Reeves or not quite twice as much, but still just real bummer that because I think the Rockets and Spurs were the two teams that were, you know, eyeing him. And obviously they neither one threw the offer sheet out there. I, I yeah. again, I've, we've had this conversation on the pod here. I can't really go into much detail about this, but I can say it wasn't entirely in the hands of external organizations. Let's just put it I, that way. I'll just say this because it, it dawned on me the other day as I was writing something else. I wonder how much the new CBA factored into this and specifically, you know, having to hit the salary floor by the first day of the regular season. You know, if they throw the offer sheet, their cap space is tied up for a week and then they know the Lakers are going to match anyway. So, you know, the Rockets just spent all their money right away on Dan Fleet and Brooks. So, you know, may, we I guess we could have seen what would have happened if they didn't. But the Spurs very easily could have thrown this giant offer sheet at him. But I wonder if, like, having your cap space tied up for a week, knowing the Lakers are going to match it, or at least thinking the Lakers are going to match it, then you get to July 7th, July 8th, whatever it is, they do match it, and now you're like, well, crap how do we spend all of this money now like we have to spend it in the next three months basically so i i wonder if that's the salary floor requirement is going to have an, an even more negative impact on restricted free agency moving forward it makes it even easier for teams to retain their players than it already was it's possible for sure for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey. 
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. All right, let's roll to the Memphis Grizzlies, guys. Uh, Mace, you already mentioned John Morant is suspended for 25 games. So in his place, the Grizzlies acquired Marcus Smart this offseason in a blockbuster trade. They also acquired Derek Rose. Um, Morton, as our, our resident Derek Rose expert on the podcast, what are realistic expectations, really during Jaws' suspension, especially, but you know, for Smart and Rose this season? How do you see those two guys fitting into the Memphis ecosystem? Oh, is that for me or Mace? That was for you. Okay, Derek. Okay, I can answer on Derek Rose. I don't think he's going to factor in a lot. He is what, like about to turn 35. He clearly was not a factor in New York last year, super inefficient, was never a great defender. You know, I know that they're trying the whole rebrand. Oh, he's going to Memphis. He's going to wear number 23 because that's where he went to college. Yeah, number 23. Yeah. And yeah, okay, cool. I guess it's not going to matter. He's blah. I mean, you're not going to get mm-hmm. anything out of him there. I, I, I think the Derrick Rose era is more or less done. I, I'm looking at Marcus Smart as obviously the more impactful defender or just player of the two. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Desmond Bain get more on-ball reps as well, just trying to keep this offense a little bit more alive. Um, also, I, I wonder if they experiment a little bit with some guys that we haven't really thought about, just trying to initiate the offense a little bit more. Like they got Josh Christopher this summer. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some minutes. Luke Kennard, obviously, we know he can play pick and roll basketball. Maybe Jake LaRivier. I mean, there are some options here that I think are intriguing, but at the end of the day, man, it's about surviving uh, those first 25 games uh, because you just don't have your elite shot creator uh, until he's back. So here, here's knocking on wood and hoping that John Moran doesn't find himself in yet another gun incident in the meanwhile. That's that. That's the biggest concern, right? And it's a at least twenty five games. But doesn't he also have like some conditions that he has to satisfy before he's back? So we're not like we're not hundred percent sure he's back in twenty five games. Oh right, right. No, there, you're right. There were some stipulations. I don't remember what those were though. But you're yeah. right. There is something else to it. I, I, I think that they're going to do everything in their power, like Memphis are, just to get him yeah. to follow everything here. And, like, he also has to understand, like, his entire future is basically on the line. I would be shocked. Like, I know I cracked a joke about the gun there, but I, I would be shocked if he's not back. I mean, after the 25 games. I think he's going to be very serious about this. And if not, oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, if not, you have a whole different conversation about Memphis' ceiling, but let's hope he stays out of trouble and is back in December or whatever the case may be. Point Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., by the way. Let's go for it. He's a a horrible rebounder. Might as well just play on the perimeter. Go nuts, JJJ. (laughs) 
Mort, I know you and I just talked about JJJ in the context of Team USA. So, Mason, I feel bad asking you about Memphis because I know there has not been much love lost between the Pelicans and Grizzlies since the, the Zion jaw draft. So just bear with me here. We are, we're getting close to the Pelicans, but <laughs> I, I do have to ask you about the Grizzlies first. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. coming off of winning defensive player of the year. How do you see him following up that campaign? Um, I mean, look, I, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of bad blood between the, uh, the, the Grizzlies and, and Pelicans. There's a, um, I think there was some stuff back in like the play-in where like, <laughs> like the, the first the, the the COVID year where they kind of made up the rules about how to handle uh, every, everything. Um, yes, they uh, you know the Pelicans were set for the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the league, and then COVID shut things down. And I think all Pelicans fans like, oh, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, and we're going to get get past the Grizzlies. But then. Um, the, the schedules all changed. And so people were bitching about really stupid stuff. Um, but anyway, I mean, small market teams kind of rally behind each other a lot of, in a lot of cases. And so I think there are a lot of Pelicans fans who are, you know, who, 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 who enjoy the Grizzlies. Um, but okay. I think to get to your, your question, I mean, I think I expect to see more Jaron Jackson, uh, like small ball lineups. I mean, Steven Adams has been very important for them, but I think as, and I think he'll continue to be important especially like kind of through this in this John Morant suspension. But mm-hmm. I think for this, for the Grizzlies to be the best version of themselves, I mean, you, you kind of saw in the playoffs last year. I mean, you can't be reliant on a, on a big like Steven Adams to really get, get far, which is kind of yeah. what their goal has to be after finishing the, you know, the two seed uh, last couple of years. So, um, but, but Moore's point is very fair too. Like who's, who's going to rebound the basketball if, if he's there. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a Jared Jackson fan. I, I think he's going to, you know, be great uh, again for him. I'm curious what kind of offensive uh, Im- improvements he can, he can make. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think he's going to have a, a, a huge role across kind of both front court positions this year. Yeah. Especially Brandon Clark is going to miss, I think at least most of the season. So they're going to have to lean on him and without John Morant, their leading scorer, like I, I'm excited. I expect some early season fireworks for both him and Desmond Bain this year, especially Desmond Bain coming off signing this gigantic contract extension. Uh, so that that should be fun to see. More last year, I think the Grizzlies kind of went from you know it, it tends to happen with exciting, fun young teams. They get a little brash. I would say. And they get super annoying. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, go from like, oh, this is the fun up and coming team to like, ooh, are, do we hate this team? I think we might hate them. And I think this <laughs> is kind of tipped over that line last year. Now, Dylan Brooks obviously did not help, especially in the first round series against the Lakers. Dylan Brooks is no longer on the Grizzlies. But, so let's go uh, get Marcus Smart, who definitely is not annoying. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. So, you know how how do you see that playing out? Like, is this just part of their identity that they're going to have to, you know, live with, or like do they tone it down a little bit and you know 
not try to have everyone circle them on the calendar is like, oh, we got to just dunk on these dudes all night long. Yeah, I think the organization is dying to tone this down. I, I mm -hmm. don't think this was an organization that was behind that type of youthful exuberance, I guess I would call mm -hmm. it, because when they basically said a minute after getting eliminated, like, Dylan Brooks won't be back. Like, it <laughs> felt very much like, you know, they are not with that program. Um, I think they want to build a an organization and a team culture that is easy to respect, easy to admire. Like, think think about what, what how they were back in the grinded out days, right? When they was just the, the grinded Grizzlies. Like, that team is right now, it's almost the exact opposite. Like, right now, it's flamboyant, it's style over substance, and, like, the older Grizzlies version were the exact opposite. I can't imagine that they're sitting there in the front office going, oh, yeah, we, we totally, we're totally cool doing a 180 here. No, I think they want to be a sleeping giant rather than being the loudmouths, for sure. Whether that's going to be the case, I guess we'll, we'll see. I mean, not having Ja around for 25 games is actually going to help because... He yeah. chirps as much as anyone. Like he yeah. is super annoying just when he's on the court and playing because he's talking all the time and it's you know his dad isn't helping the issue at all. Like 25 games of not having him around and hopefully his father will also just not be around much. I think that could do a lot for them to like maybe flip over the narrative a little bit. And then when Jack comes back, he should probably consider you know maybe a toned down version of himself. Maybe just come in and be a little bit quieter, a little bit more professional. And like I always like guys talking is a good thing, even trash talking mm -hmm. to an extent. Because you can also overdo it. Like even Gary Payton, who I love, was freaking annoying in the later stages of his career. Like sometimes the shtick just grows old. Um and I think I think that's gonna be the messaging as well in training camp. I think it's mm -hmm. gonna be you guys shut the hell up. Like, you don't bitch about <laughs> fouls. You don't do this. You don't do that. Just be quiet and play your game. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I'm imagine. just realizing sounds an awful lot like shut up and dribble. That's not what I'm saying, just to be clear. Yeah. No, you're, you're just saying they need to, like, just tone it down a little bit because you don't want you don't want teams, like, circling you on the schedule. Right, for like, competitive wanna, reasons. Yes. Yeah, I want to destroy yeah. this team. Right. Just because they are annoying the hell out of me, which is basically yeah. what I mean. LeBron, after the Dylan Brooks comments last year, just went into Terminator mode again. And like, that's, you know, I, I remember the Grizzlies, I think it was uh, Zach Kleiman after the series was like, we need to get rid of the distractions. Like, that yeah. was, you know, straight from the front office. You know, I, I would say the grit and grind Grizzlies with Zebo and Tony Allen also definitely had some of this, the same attitude, which is what endeared them to memphis but it wasn't as ostentatious i would say right um, and it also it was like two voices instead of like 15 right because it was yeah, like yeah. the current grizzlies it's like when someone gets the ball rolling someone else picks it up and it just goes and goes and goes and then they go on twitter they start like with their laughing emojis that gets quote tweeted by another player with the laugh and then it's a snowball effect and you're just sitting back going oh my god you guys are in high school <laughs> exactly um, so what I'm I'm very confused about some things I'm looking at because like I remember 
when the suspension came out in conjunction with the schedule, it was announced mm-hmm. that like the John Morant's uh, return will be probably, probably right. Be his 26th game. The 26th game of the season is at New Orleans on national television. The Pelicans fans all roll their eyes collectively because it feels like every star comes back against New Orleans. I'm sure every fan base feels that <laughs> way, but New Orleans sure. feels that way, especially a special way. But the reason I'm confused is because I was just, I just counted the schedule like five times and the, I'm counting that being the 23rd or 24th game for the uh, for the Grizzlies, and so I'm very confused about like the people just like kind of. I, I assume that that the that the 25 game thing, New Orleans return is right because it's nationally televised, so that makes sense to me. But like the math isn't adding up. I'm like counting the games over and over, and it's and see, it looks like the 23rd game or 24th game is in New Orleans. So I don't know. Very confusing. I I did not see Eric like when it came out I was not paying attention to what his potential return was um I mean regardless Mort I agree with you that like every team is gonna have to establish their identity every year and if you have you know the same players from year to year it certainly helps but you know like this could be their chance with John Moran out with Dylan Brooks gone Let's have a little bit of a culture reset. And then when Ja returns, like, yeah, maybe we have, you know, the the snarling dunk on your head. Ja Morant comes back right away. Or maybe they just tone it down until the playoffs, which would probably be the smart play from their perspective. I'm just realizing this is why they signed Derrick Rose. Remember when he wouldn't dance at the All-Star game? Uh, Like that meme, that is going to play in the locker room on a loop. Just like (laughs) just him. Him looking at everyone else, just rolling his eyes. That's why they brought him in there. Okay. Yeah, it might be. Uh, Mason, what do you think constitutes a successful season for the Grizzlies? Where, you know, you mentioned last year they were the number two seed. Like, do they have the ceiling of a championship contender this year? Or with, you know, the Joss suspension factored in with Brandon Clark? Uh, recovering from his injury, are they still like one year away from legit title threat? Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have them in that conversation. I just don't think, like, they haven't been there so far. And the roster to me isn't like that materially better. Like, I, I'm a, I like Marcus Smart, but I'm just not sure. I mean, they got smaller, right? I mean, like the 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 defense. I think you know beyond Jaron Jackson. Is at least like, I'm not, I'm not sold. If that's like a, if that's a title, if they're good enough on both ends of the floor, I guess that to, to really mm-hmm. be a title, title threat. Um, as far as kind of how they land the season, I mean, so like we already mentioned, like they're Vegas has about five forty-five and a half. I'm curious how many wins we think Jaws are worth over the first twenty-five games. Like how many wins does that actually cost them? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that their target should be as, avoid the plan. Um, I think that's that's probably right around a lot. I mean, a lot of teams are going to want to be a top six seed and avoid the play-in, right? But um, I do think that even if they make the, even if they end up in the play-in, like they're they're a team no one's going to want to face in the first round of the playoffs, right? Because they're, whatever wherever they end up, they're probably underseeded because of the first twenty-five games with John Morant suspension. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I don't think they can have too lofty of expectations because of the hole they're going to dig themselves at the start here, relatively speaking, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think they are a year away from get at least me being convinced that they're a legit title threat. Yeah, I, I buy that. Mm. 
Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, let's go to the New Orleans Pelicans, Mace. I'm going to I'm going to start with the same question I just asked you about the Grizzlies cuz I like we can't speculate. Is this the year Zion stays healthy? We we don't know. We're not going to know. Hopefully, yes. But hypothetically, let's just say this is the year that everyone stays healthy for the Pelicans, or you know, re- relatively healthy within reason. No one's missing half the season. No one's out with the season-ending injury. What is the ceiling for this Pelicans team as currently constructed? We get one of those once every five years. So I think we're about there. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, right. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, look, the, the, this team um, before, like, basically on New Year's Eve, I remember this because my daughter was born on December 30th. I remember the Pelicans were the one seed when she was born and then everything went to shit. But, <laughs> um, but look, they were, they, they, were, they were really good with this team fully healthy. I mean, uh, yeah. so I think they – I would tell you that their expectations, if they get a health, a, you know, like you said, a relatively healthy season from their entire, like all their core players, they want to, like, a first round exit's not good enough. Because uh, that's kind of what happened with the Phoenix Suns. It was a fun, hard fought six game series. Like, everyone was excited about New Orleans. And, and as Pelicans, the Pelicans always do, things fell apart the following season. So, um, like, I, I think they feel like they've got the talent to do that, to make some real noise that they're healthy. Because they don't, they've got some bigger questions to answer, and that bigger question starts with Brandon Ingram because he will be up for a <laughs> Jalen Brown level extension. Um, and I do not think I don't I don't really think you can justify paying him that kind of money um, if the ceiling for this team as currently constructed is another first round playoff loss. Um, so I, I don't know, like it's tough. Like that was kind of the reason I was team if we were going to trade uh, for Scoot. It, I was I was very much more in favor of trading Brandon Ingram than Zion just because of that contract situation. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, small markets have to bet on superstar level talent. You just got to take that take that chance. But um, but yeah, so I mean, like this team, they, they've got to win a playoff series. I think if if, if they have a, a healthy season, um, otherwise they've got to have, they have some hard questions to answer. That that was my next question for you. Uh, you know, the consequences or the potential fallout. If you know, regardless of whether it's an injury or even if they stay healthy and just you know fall short in the playoffs, because then we, as we just mentioned, you know, you're gonna have to get through Phoenix, Denver, Lakers, uh, Dallas, Golden State, Thunder, up and coming, you know, Timberwolves potentially, Clippers if they stay healthy, the Kings. Um, no, it's it, it's an absolute bloodbath just to get out of the first rounds. Uh, I know your co-host Schmidt uh, wrote something over the offseason as that the scoot uh, rumors were circulating and kind of pointed out that like, yeah, the, the Pelicans might be nearing this 
inflection point where they're going to have to yep. make a decision on this core because Ingram right now under contract for two more years becomes unrestricted free agent in 2025. CJ McCollum uh, is starting the first year of this three-year $100 million deal. He's a free agent in 2026. Valanchunas entering the last year of his deal as well. Um, so, you know, the, it, it's decision time soon because this team is pretty expensive and it's not going to be sustainable in its current form, especially once Ingram signs his new deal. So I, I think you kind of answered it already, but, you know, how do you see this playing out long-term if the Pelicans kind of keep, you know, barring like a major leap forward? And that was part of the rationale, I think, with the Herb Jones extension, because they had the option to really to, to make him a restricted free agent the following year and get him for one more year for cheap. But they opted mm-hmm. to just give him the extension now because on the annual on an annual basis, it save them, save the money. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think the, the first the easiest question is, is what's up with the onus? Right. Because you've got CJ Zion and Brandon Ingram under contract for the next two years uh, and beyond. But the, all three of them have two more years on their deals, at least. Um, Jonas just finished kicking Team USA's ass <laughs> for Lithuania. Um, yep. And they've got, I mean, he was the first year in New Orleans. He was fantastic. Um, the second year, his role changed. Um, I, n- not significantly, but it did change enough where he was more of an afterthought. They were playing some weird lineups, and I, I, I kind of felt pretty strongly that they should have been using him a little bit more to kind of mash with second units. But they were, you know, basically, true, you know, they're, they love, I guess, put it closing games with Larry Nance, even in situations where they shouldn't have. Um, mm. But that's the first question is, is you know, if you're not going to extend Jonas, which I, it's hard to make that mathematical argument with the, with the tax concerns. Um, what, what are you, what are you doing with him? Um, so he's pretty expendable, I think at this point, just because he has to be. Um, and then, yeah, you've, you've got to make, you've got to, I don't think they're trading Zion. Um, and so you've got to make a call about how do you handle CJ versus Brandon Ingram? Are you willing to attach things to CJ to move him? Cause they don't have a ton of picks anymore. I mean, <laughs> like yeah. that's the fun, the fun Pelicans with a million draft picks in the future. Isn't the situation anymore right now. They can be rooting for Giannis to, to bolt from Milwaukee and then have some nice, nice draft capital down the road with them. But apart from this Lakers pick, they can defer from 24 to 25. They don't have a ton of assets anymore um, or of other teams' assets. They still have all their own picks, but um, all their own firsts. They have no second round picks, which is another hilarious kind of subplot here. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think they're betting a lot on Trey Murphy taking a jump this year. I mean, he, he was, he was solid for them last year, but it, mm-hmm. this is more of like a, can he be a, I, I think he's like a most improved player watch candidate for, for next season. Like, I think he's going to have that much of a, um, he's gonna be that like just so important for spacing for Zion, and so, um, so so I mean a, a lot comes down to, to to him as well. But yeah, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to pick one of the three big money makers and make a call. Like I mean, Schmidt's article is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was really, you know, I obviously you guys follow the Pelicans a lot more closely than I do, and it was like really eye opening to see that level of like, oh, they they've is coming up like sooner than we think, you know, that I mentioned Embiid and Luca in the, you know, where, where are these guys going next conversation? And like, it's coming for BI or Ingram probably within the next year or sorry, BI or Zion within the next year. We just don't know which one it's going to be. Yeah. Pels are a tax team right now. Kind of a funny, funny situation. Like they can trade Kyra Lewis and get under, but right now, yeah, 
they haven't moved him yet. And so the Pelicans are technically over the tax line. I'm glad you brought him up. What the hell is the plan there? Because Kyle <laughs> Lewis was, you know, he was one of those college players you looked at and went, oh, yeah, he's going to be a starter eventually at the NBA level. And when he was drafted by the Pelicans, I thought, okay, I I don't love the fit, but he, he'll probably grow into it. Now we're entering year four, and it's like, what's the plan? I mean, yeah, it, it's just tough because he tore his ACL, and so he lost yeah. basically a full season. Right. And and then you, you've got this team that made the playoffs, and now you're trying to replicate that. And there wasn't a clear role for him coming coming back. And so I I think they're going to try. I mean, they, I, I think they, they want – they need him to prove his worth, either to the Pelicans or as a trade candidate. Um, so I think he'll, he, he may get a, a, a look to start the year in the, in the rotation. Um, I'm curious what, what that means for other guys like Dyson Daniels, for example. So, I mean, there, there is a talent crunch here and Jose Alvarado, obviously too, I mean, who, who cemented his spot in the rotation. So right. where do you find the minutes from is a great question. Um, and so I, well, by I season start, Dyson, Dyson Daniels is going to be like six eleven, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so you see, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I think they they're either just going to cut bait with them and just trade them for a, for a future second or for for a fake second, or, um, or 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 they give them a real shot in the rotation to start the year and see see what they got. That's a rough asset to lose, considering he was a former lottery pick. But I I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I who knows if he doesn't tear his ACL, what happens? Um, right. It's not like he was looking like he was going to. Uh, be an all-star or anything like that before too like he he was very inconsistent but he's so he's so fast um, yeah. and so I think that that's something that you can't teach that speed that first step and so look maybe um, you know maybe there's something there still yeah so Mace you brought up Trey Murphy uh, Mort I want to give you a chance to spread some love as well what are you expecting out of Trey Murphy this year Oh, man. I mean, uh, like Mace, I had him on my MIP list as well. I mean, this guy is such a good shooter. I so close to 50-40-90. I mean, like one and a half percentage points away last year as a sophomore. Um, He had like a a shooting crowd in the middle of the year, which I think made his percentages look even worse than they actually are, which is completely insane to me. I, I, I keep loving the fact that the Pelicans have him as Scion insurance. But I also question, like, and I even brought this up on my, my Danish radio show a couple weeks ago, like, what happens with Trey Murphy if Scion comes back, is fully healthy, plays 70-plus games a year? Like, does Trey look at that role and go, hmm, you know, I just went from playing 31 minutes a game to being, you know, primarily a backup, playing, you know, a six-man capacity role? Is it time for me to move on? Do I want to stick around? Like those are some open-ended questions that I have there. Maybe he's just such a team player that it doesn't matter. Which you know, knock on wood, that would be great for the Pelicans. But we know that players who show something, they usually have larger ambitions. So that's a question that I'll be, you know, looking at moving forward. So you you hit an interesting point and, and a point of contention among Pelicans Twitter, which is who starts, <laughs> um, and and so I, there's a very split. Uh, there are split communities around Herb Jones versus uh, versus Trey Murphy as 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 a starter, and obviously you're oh. going to have a few folks that say, "Oh, CJ should take that six man role." And we all kind of laugh at that. No, that's not happening. And so put that off the table. The the, the you know CJ uh, Bi and Zion are all starting. 
Jonas is starting. Uh, they're not going to start. They're certainly not going to go with Zion as a small ball five. So who's the fifth guy? And is it Herb Jones or is it Trey Murphy? And so I, I won't pretend I know to know the answer. I think they're going to go with what they were doing last year and start Herb Jones. But I do think they're also going to do whatever they can to maximize Trey's minutes with Zion um, because yeah. of that floor spacing potential. I, I, I think I would expect my guess is Herb Jones starts the season as a starter. Trey Murphy plays more minutes per game um, or, eh, or close. I mean, Herb did play. Herb has been a, a minutes eater for them because he's the defensive stopper. But I do think, I, I, I guess Trey Murphy will be top five in minutes per game for the Pelicans. I think that's a safe bet. I mean, that would all, that, that's definitely a, a, an assistance and a help for them moving forward because I can't help but think that if he eventually feels that he's being left out in the cold a little bit, that, that's probably not going to go over well. But is there enough minutes moving forward for all those guys? Like if you, like B.I., Herb, Trey, Sion, assuming all of them are healthy, like can you really maximize those minutes? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think there are guys down down roster that I expect may get moved. Like, I don't know if Najee Marshall is going to be on the roster at the end of the season. Right. Um, and look, they're going to they're want to find minutes for Dyson. But I think I think those top, you know, those top six, CJ, yeah. B.I., Herb, Trey, Zion, Jonas, like they're all going to get theirs. Okay. I think if Jonas, is, Jonas has every right to be pissed about his minutes after last season. Um, and if he's if he's still kind of committed uh, after last season, obviously he's in a contract year, so he ha- has no choice, right? <laughs> he wants he wants to get paid, um, and and so I'm, I'm curious what happens with him um, mm-hmm. because yeah, Larry Nance is again, in my opinion, eating in too much to Jonas's minutes. Um, but okay. I, I think for their their main guys, they've got there's enough minutes to go around. Okay, interesting. So the last question, Mace, they got Jordan Hawkins in this year's draft. And they had Dyson Daniels last year. So, you know, the Pelicans have done well. What we were talking about earlier with the Mavericks, like not not having a ton of young guys around Luka. You know, the Pelicans have done well at least getting some high upside young guys around Zion, around BI. Um, what do you expect out of Hawkins this year and, and Dyson Daniels, who showed some real promise as a rookie last year? Yeah, uh, Hawkins was not good in summer league, and I know you really shouldn't put much stock in that. But uh, I'm I don't I don't see the rotation spot for for Jordan Hawkins to start the year. Like I think I think it's more likely EJ Liddell, who was their second round pick last year, who immediately had an injury in in summer league and didn't get to play mm-hmm. at all. Like I think I would put him in the rotation before Jordan Hawkins. Um, wow. Okay. I, I I mean look. I, I think he'll get his shots because he can shoot. Like that's his that's his role, and they, the Pelicans do need floor spacers. But I think he's he's going to have to prove it. Um, I mean, we were screaming to get minutes uh, for Trey Murphy his first year. Um, I, cause I I do think that with Willie Green, if you play defense, you you're you know you're going to get minutes. And I don't know if we'll, we'll see what Jordan Hawkins can do. Uh, Jordan Hawkins can do to convince Willie Green that he deserves minutes, but. Um, I think, you know, they funneled the ball through Jackson Daniels in summer league this year. Like they want him building up his offensive confidence. Uh, and like, he's not going to obviously be, he's probably more like that Lonzo ball type of guard versus like an on. He's not, I don't think he's like a true traditional point guard. Um, but I, I think they want him to be more confident in his offense, more confident shooting the ball because they're going to need him to their teams. are mm-hmm. Kind of like Herb Jones teams are going to leave him open. Um, and he's going to have to knock shots down. And so I, I, I do think, 
they're they treated summer league as if they really want Dyson to get his confidence up and to be a, a you know a true rotation player for them this year. So he was he was pretty inconsistent last year. Down the stretch, he was not great, um, but he had good good moments throughout the year. So I you know I I think he'll be in the rotation. I think I think they're gonna try to get EJ into the rotation because he had a nice summer league as well. Jordan Hawkins, I just I I don't I don't see the easy pathway of minutes. I, I spoke to Jordan uh, in New York when I was doing like the pre-draft stuff, and I asked him a question just about like his his primary strength as a spot-up shooter and like what kind of role that he kind of envisioned for himself over the course of his NBA career. Granted, this was before he was picked by the Pelicans, and like I have this on video because we did a YouTube video on it, and I I couldn't tell if his reaction was like a little like he scoffed a little bit, like yeah, I'm not just a spot-up shooter. Where I, I don't want to say it was a, like a red flag moment or, or anything, but I was like, I was thinking at least, yeah, you, you probably are, especially in the Pelicans afterwards, because like, how do you not, how do you otherwise get a chance in that system? Like, you're not going to be an on-ball player. You're not going to be a shot creator in that system. You're not going to be a wing guy. Like, you're going to be primarily a spot-up shooter. But the fact that he kind of rejected that type of, of, of role was kind of interesting to me I, I would i would bet you that it had to do with the spot up part of that um i if you called him like his main value being a shooter i think i don't think he'd argue with that um but he was one of the better movement shooters in the draft too so got so someone he's got to be someone who can shoot off yeah. the dribble himself versus just catch and shoot so maybe that I, that nuance could be pretty pretty important uh, to that's him. fair yeah that's but um point. but 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 yeah i mean like i think that's no one no no secret that's going to be his main role for this new orleans team right I'm excited to see exactly what happens with New Orleans this year. Mason, as you said, I mean, I think going into the new year, if I remember correctly, when Zion got hurt, which was against Philly, and I'm sorry that Philly ruined both of our lives in the last year, um, <laughs> the Pelicans, I think, were third in the West and, like, have the seventh best record in the league. Like, they, they were, you know, it kind of more – now I'm just going to make all this sad. It reminds me of the Bulls before Lonzo went down, where they were also like best record in the East for the first half yep. of the season. Yep. And then Lonzo goes down and, you know, everything goes to hell. Like, I know uh, Mason Morton and I were talking. We did a, a podcast where we went over all the early lines, you know, awards odds lines. And I, I think Sion was like, a yeah, he's plus 5,000 for MVP. It's like, you know, if this is the year he stays healthy, that that line is way, 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 way too high. But not only does he need to stay healthy, like to play, you know, to put up enough numbers to be in that conversation and have the Pelicans win enough games to be in that conversation. But the whole like the 65 game minimum threshold now for all these awards, I would imagine factors into the Zion price as well. But. I am personally very much rooting for Zion to stay healthy and for the Pelicans to at least, you know, it just sucks when teams like you, you see the upside that they have and they just can't ever show it because they're always hurt. Like I, I would like to just see one fully healthy run with this year's Pelicans group. So we can see like, you know, is it worth building around this core moving forward or do they need to have those hard conversations about, no, we, we need to basically pick one of B.I. and Zion after this year. We can't keep building around both. 
Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, this has been the, the the Pelicans' problems for years. I mean, they when they had they they got this group, this young veteran group under Dell Demps, uh, you know, with Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, uh, Ryan Anderson, Anthony Davis, and Eric Gordon. Like that was the that was the core. And it's like, what what can we do with these guys all growing together and playing because they were all in their you know all in their twenty and mid, like mid, early to mid twenties. But no one could stay stay healthy. Drew Holiday had all those um, injury concerns, and obviously there was the health uh, health issues with with his wife. And Eric Gordon was always hurt, and his heart was always in Phoenix, as we as we all know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, it never came together. And then this iteration with Boogie Cousins, same thing happened. And then this iteration of the Pelicans, same deal. And so I also forgot that he got hurt against the Sixers. So thanks for that. I remember yeah. watching. <laughs> I remember watching the game, the home game. On the day again, the day my daughter was born, I remember watching on my laptop in the in the hospital, and we won that game. I forgot yeah. that they also played the Sixers again two games later, and that's when Zion got hurt. So thank you. Yeah, our our bad. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, clearly the Sixers fault. Yeah. Tax day is coming. Oh no! But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a three percent match, you can get up to a hundred ninety five dollars for the twenty twenty three tax year. Oh. Yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, guys, let's wrap up with the San Antonio Spurs. Mason, we know how more it feels about Victor Wembanyama. What do you think are realistic expectations for him as a rookie? I, I, I think about it the same way I think I thought about Anthony Davis when he was drafted because I think a lot of people his first year expected him to like be blocking a lot of shots, but not necessarily being like an immediate, like huge offensive impact type guy. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think any, anyone doubting what Wemby's going to do in this first season because of his frame or anything like that, I think is lunacy. Like I think he's going to be really, really good in his first year, uh, making an impact on both sides of the ball. He's just, there's just nothing else, or I shouldn't say nothing, but there's, there's not much else there in San Antonio right now that makes me think that this team can make any sort of noise. But, I mean, they'll be a lead pass favorite for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny you bring up AD. That's That's been the one, uh, like, comparisons I've been brought up to whenever people ask about, like, what should we expect out of Wemby, where I'm like – it, it, because AD is such a great example. Like, his, his stats didn't blow anyone out of the way. Like I think he was like memory serves like 13, 14 points per game, like seven, eight rebounds. Like, but he was incredibly influential on those teams. Like it, it wasn't because he wasn't going to be a superstar. It was just, yeah, I'm gonna weave myself into the fabric of the team and then I'm gonna explode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, it, that's v- very accurate. And, and there were good arguments about the Dame Lillard versus Anthony Davis, who's going to be MB, who's going to be the rookie of the year. Um, and we know how that ended, but I, I think the fact that there, that was a conversation speaks to his two way impact because 
you're not going to have a defense, a, a rookie of the year because you're all defense. Like that doesn't happen. Right. It's, it's accounting stats award. Right. And so the fact that there was a conversation, it wasn't just kind of like a, a Dame Lillard walk away. Like I think speaks to the fact that AD was able to kind of make an impact on the offensive end, maybe more quickly than others, even than I was expected, even if it didn't show up in the stat sheet. Yeah. So obviously Wemby is the big story in San Antonio this year, guys, but they do have a couple other, uh, made some other moves this off season and do have one particularly critical decision coming up more. Devin Vassell is heading into the final year of his rookie scale deal, which means he is eligible for a contract extension up until I guess it's October 23rd, if I remember correctly. Um, do you think the Spurs should sign him to an extension? And if yes. so, sure. What, how, how high would you be willing to go? Doesn't matter because extensions are a team asset at this point. If you have a productive young player, the cap is only going to go up. I don't, I wrote a piece about this on Emmanuel quickly, where I argued that it wouldn't even matter if the Knicks spent 25 million a year on him because his cap hit percentage wise just wouldn't be all that great. So I frankly don't care what they sign him to. It's if they want to give him 30 million a year, Devin Vassell, like it's fine. He's he's justified himself as being a productive young player and productive two-way young player, no less. Like we know that he's not gonna be a complete, you know, bust or or fraud or anything of that measure. He can handle the ball, he can defend, he can hit threes, you know, he can pass, he defense at a fairly high level. I I, I just I don't have any issues with whatever they hand him. It's going to age pretty well. They're banking on upside, which they should. And the cap hit percentage-wise, again, is not going to be all that great down the line. So go nuts, Spurs. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as like saying he should be a max-level player. but No, no, no but you don't balk. Like, if he comes in and says, I want 28, and they say, well, we want to give you 24 – and that becomes like a major sticking point, then they mm -hmm. need to look themselves in the mirror and just go, okay, we're being idiots right now because the cap is gonna go up by 10% presumably every single year. Like, let's just let's just give him the 28 per year if that's what he's asking. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off a year that he averaged 18.5 points per game, shot almost 39% from deep on seven attempts per game. Yeah. You know, now, like the risk of not extending him is that Wemby is going to draw so much defensive attention away. You know, Vassell did this on a team with, uh, you know, not a ton of right. talent around him. Mm -hmm. Keldon Johnson was great, obviously, uh, and Vassell was good. But other than that, it's like Jacoperto was there for half a season. Like, who, who even was the Spurs' third best player after the trade deadline last year? Like, Trey Jones? Is there Jeremy I'm, I'm, Sohan? Like Yeah, uh, probably defensively he was quite good. But yeah, no, I, I so Zach Collins um, wasn't bad for him. Yeah, that's true. He yeah. wasn't. That was kind of surprising. Like he was he was actually pretty decent. So what's your argument, Brian, that it's empty stats? Because I have no, no, no. That, oh, so okay. the opposite. I, oh, sorry. Yeah, then that, I okay. That's really hard for him to have been that efficient on yeah, a team okay. with not that much right. talent. And now he's gonna have Wemby on his team. And Wemby's. I misunderstood. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, now yeah, I yeah. get you. So, yeah, like, I'm guessing his efficiency goes up even further, and oh, you know, maybe scoring. 
yeah, like maybe his scoring goes down a little bit, but you know, the, the attention Wemby should draw inside the perimeter, especially mm-hmm. uh, should free Vassell open for a lot of open threes, I think. I also loved how Vassell more or less doubled his assist percentage and only increased his turnover percentage just like by a minimal amount. He's so mm-hmm. safe to give the ball to. Like, usually you have those guys like Monte Morris, like the Tyus Jones types, like those like small point guards, and you can kind of rely on them to basically never turn the ball over. Like, mm. here we have a 6'6", 6'7", wing, and he is just so secure when he has the ball in his hands. It's like, okay. Like, that's that to me is one of the greenest flags you can have about a guy moving forward. I think that's such a tremendous indicator of growth as well. Uh I, I can't wait to watch the Spurs play this year. They're they're spoiler, they're gonna be number one in my league pass. Yeah, they're gonna be very high for me as well, in large part because of Webby. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think those are the two big questions for the Spurs moving forward, but they have a few other ones. Uh one of which, I mean, I think they are sneaky in terms of a trade deadline power player, because they have a lot of guys on expiring contracts. Doug McDermott, 13.8 million. Reggie Bullock, 10.5. Zach Collins, Ken Birch, Chetty Osman, campaign. Uh, you know, Trey Jones is on the two-year $19 million deal. So, like, and Devontae Graham's got two years left on his deal, but I thought, yeah, only 2.9 million is guaranteed next year. So you know, that's basically some team could acquire him and carve out, what, $9.8 million of cap space if they just mm-hmm. wave him next summer. So I, I keep forgetting Chetty Osmond is on the Spurs. I keep forgetting I, it. Yeah. <laughs> that that, that would have got me. I know uh, who is Steph No made the who oh, you yeah. play for quiz. Yeah. If you put Chetty Osmond on there, I probably would have lost. Yeah. I, no, for I, sure. Yeah. But, uh, what do you think? Like, what do you see happening with the Spurs this year, especially at the trade deadline? Like, could they, you know, could they be in position to, with you know, all of these second apron penalties looming in twenty four twenty five, or I guess the rest of them looming, including the, uh, you know, you can't trade your draft pick seven years in the future, can't aggregate right. salaries, can't even send out players in a sign and trade and receive any salary back in return. Like, I th- I think teams are going to be trying to salary jump more at the deadline. Do you think the Spurs are going to be sniffing around and saying, like, hey, guys, we got $50 million of expiring contracts if you want them? It depends. So the Spurs hate, and I emphasize this, they hate to make in-season trades. Like, they've been forced mm-hmm. to do so for a while now because they're rebuilding, and I assume mm-hmm. that... That mindset might also have been altered due to the arrival of Victor Vembanyana. Like right now, they might just say, look, we're building around this guy. We're open for business. Like, just give us a call. We'll figure something out. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the play. Or maybe they're going to read it over the course of the first season. They're going to see how are we doing? Are we playing above expectation? If they are, I would be surprised if they actually do make a move because this isn't a team that's inclined to stop something good to to take a step back like if they are on a a pathway to success they they keep on it like they stay on that path so it really depends on how the first 
month or two shake out, I would say. So it's impossible to say right now. They're, they, I feel like they're very reactive instead of like progressive and proactive. Always. Like it seems like they're sometimes just, oh, like we're, this is what's happening right now. That's what we're going after instead of like making plans, you know, four years into the future. So it really depends on, yeah, how their first two, I would say, months are going. But they should be yeah. open to it, if that's what you're asking, for sure. I mean, yeah, you're you're, knowing, you're not really in a major rush, I would argue. Like, it's not like you should go out of your way to to find, like, win-now type players and put them around Wemby right now. You can wait a couple of years to do that. And if you are inclined to do so, hell yeah, you should be open for business. Absolutely. Hey, oh, you want you want us to take on this god awful contract? Cool, it's going to cost you a first round pick. Fine. <laughs> Schmidt, right. Schmidt was banging the drum on on uh, actually on Zach Collins and, and flipping Jonas for him just just for the mm-hmm. you know for the luxury tax dodging part of it. And also, like if you look at Zach Collins' splits by by position, I mean, like for the last few years, he's been he's been the, the team's been more effective with him at the five than at the four. Um, yeah. so that dates back to his you know his Portland days as well, and so. You know, could he be a decent, you know, fit with Zion uh, in the front court? Um, I think. Look, he's not perfect, right? But if you're if you're trying to duck the tax, and you're looking at ways that you could do it, that's it's one of them. Um, and so, like, I, I but I, but I, I'm I'm with, I'm with more. I mean, like, they should be. Uh, to, who who knows how good they can be uh, this year with? To, they'll they'll go as Wemby goes, but. Why not? Why not use those contracts and try to um, make something happen? If the, I if love the situation that deal. Goes for it. I yeah. love that deal. It solves something for both teams. You're you're, you're getting Valanciunas uh, to play alongside Webby, so you get like that big imposing center that he needs to play alongside as. Collins is more of a, a natural shooter than Jonas, I think it's fair to say, which obviously Sion like, can play next to spacing. I love that. That's a very good idea. So let's wrap it up with this, because I've asked, you know, what – what makes a successful season for a lot of these teams? And obviously the Spurs are still very early into a rebuild. No one's pegging them for a playoff team or a play in team. Mason, what do you think they need to learn about Wemby in particular, knowing that he is the future of their franchise? Like what with him do they need to learn this year to make this a successful season? Huh? Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great, it's a, <laughs> well, it's, it's a great question. Um, because I, I don't, I don't necessarily presume to know where he's going to make the biggest impact from, from day one, but mm-hmm. even if certain things don't develop as they should, I'm not particularly inclined to care because he's a, he's a kid. Like he's, he's 20 <laughs> years old. Like I, I think as, Basically, as long as he shows he's not a bust, which I don't, I don't think he is, to be clear. Like, I, 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 I I'm not concerned. Because, I mean, Giannis is the poster child for this. Like, he was not much of anything his rookie year. And so, like, whether that's opportunity-based or role-based, I don't know. But, like, I'm just – I'm not – I'm not inclined to, to, to see any sort of, like I – don't, I don't necessarily think they have to figure out a ton about who Wemby, the player, is going to be this year because – They've got time to, to figure that out. I know it's a non-answer, but like, I just, I don't think they need to be in a rush to, to see, to, to figure out what, what Wemby is beyond just like, oh yeah, he's going to be a real good NBA player. Like that, that's all that, that they need to be satisfied with and thinking you're one with him. 
Yeah. More, what do you I, think? I, I actually do think they need to figure something out. So so I, I think what's super important for them is obviously how do we best build around Wimbanyana. So like when they have mm-hmm. that out of the way, that knowledge you just talked about, Mason, just, oh yeah, we, we, we have now confirmed that he's going to be an outstanding NBA player. Then I think it becomes a question of where do we think he is going to improve the most? Where do we anticipate his uh development may be stagnating or where's like what's the toughest area for him to improve upon and then actually try to build out a plan based on those both strengths and weaknesses and prolonged uh expectations for example i i I think there's a great deal to learn but i agree with you like number one and number two and number three is all about (laughs) is he going to be that star player that we're hoping him to be and then everything else falls in line but I, i do think there's a lot to learn just in terms of like roster construction uh off of year one not that you need to like overdo it and go oh he struggled from three-point range he's a non-shooter but like catch my drift like it's maybe he's struggling like surveying the floor more than anticipated and then that might be something to put in the back of the mind like oh okay like he might not become the type of passer we anticipated him as or like, what do we do here? Do we give him a front court partner who's more willing to pass the ball, maybe to open up some creativity? Like, I, I think there's a lot to learn, honestly. Yeah, I, I think to to that point, and you know, the one the, one of the reasons I'm that it's so great that he was drafted by a team like the Spurs is that what you don't want is him trying to do too much and developing any bad habits. And so that yeah, is a situation that, and I, I don't think the Spurs will let that happen. And so it's a great environment for him to to grow as a young player without being asked. You know, I think they can put a lot on him to see what you know how he handles it. But if they see things developing in him that they don't like, they'll be able to dial it back. Versus, yeah. I think not every franchise can say that. Yeah, it's interesting to me also that Pop kind of went out of his way to say, you know, we're going to let him be him. You know, because there's this overarching concern that the Spurs model, you know, it was a little bit. Uh, restrictive to certain guys' skill set. Like we know how Pop himself has been has been saying this for years that he kind of restricted Tony and Manu and even Tim's like stat lines because of the way the, the, he had them all sacrificed. So it's interesting that he came out and said, "Oh no, we're going to let Wemby be Wemby." It was like, "Oh, okay, is this a new mindset or is just in a different approach based on personality?" Like I didn't expect him to say that, and when he did, it was like, "Oh, this this is definitely a different Spurs team now." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys are right on that. You know, they just need to figure out like how his game translates to the NBA. Not that I expect, you know, any major struggle. I, like he was, you know, it's not. Oh, he didn't play against Marquette. How is he going to fare against NBA players? Like he was it's Ohio against, State, Brian. Get it right. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Uh, he he was playing against professionals last year, and he was dominating them. He is going to do the same in the NBA in due time. But yeah, I think figuring out exactly like which types of players will best complement him moving forward. Because, you know, the thing we've learned, especially in recent years, is as soon as you draft the superstar, you're on the clock already. Like, not that the Spurs are going to like deal with Victor Wembanyama trade rumors anytime soon. But I mean, Mason, you can vouch for this. Even before Zion signs his rookie extension there are already questions like two years into his tenure in new orleans of like does zion want out does i want to go to the knicks like this is just the way that the modern nba works is you know you 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 have to your your clock starts as soon as you draft this guy and you got to continue to get better around him or 
you know, you run the risk of them developing a wandering eye, especially once they sign that first extension. So, you know, the Spurs are a model franchise in a lot of ways and have been a great organization for the past 20, 25 years. They have experience doing this type of thing with David Robinson and then Tim Duncan. So I have faith that they will continue to do so with Wemby, but I'm very intrigued to see how they handle it because they have really such a blank slate. I mentioned all the expiring contracts they have over this year and next, you know, they, they had three first round picks last year in um, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham and Jeremy Sohan. They've got a bunch of picks in the future still. Like they, they have a lot of flexibility to build around this guy in the way they see best. Now it's just figuring out, okay, well, what, what does that mean? How did we actually translate that into tangible pieces? So I think that is a great pledge for us to wrap up. So thank you all, as always, for listening in today. Uh, Mason, before we go, can you let our listeners know one more time where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work? Yeah, well, um, thanks for having me. Uh, fun as always, chat with y'all. Um, and so I, again, my social media, Twitter, whatever else, uh, just my name at Mason Ginsburg. And then uh, Shemit Dua and I are the co-host of the In the Know podcast, uh, which you can find anywhere you consume podcasts. Yes. So please give them a follow as well. You can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles and our bios to give us a follow. You can also find us on blue sky at the same handles. So check us out there as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. Until next time, I'm Brian Teporek. I was joined as always by Morton Jensen and our special guest, Mason Ginsburg. Gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining today. Enjoy the rest of the week, and let's talk soon. Have a good one, man.